people so last time we were discussing costing uh but realized that we have something more to continue on it and give a background okay please do uh, last time we were talking about uh, costing and we talked about uh, things that came up when we were trying to determine the cost of uh, plating from different businesses it was there that we found out about the three box method from um, from Mark, which is quite insightful, as well as your, your consideration a bit of making sure as owner we have salaries and not eating on the profit that we get. It was from this, this that discussion that we were considering growth and development of a business when it comes to pricing and costing and how if we know this, we can determine how to include investors and how to scale our businesses. It was from there that pricing and costing were going to take us to the next step. And you had brought up some good points for which we could talk about one of them, including growth. Because the growth and the price costing could not be separated. That is where we stopped. So I'm not sure where to start from that point, how we can now expand the discussion from what we are discussing costing to actually bring it home in terms of growth and development of the business. A bit, please take the take the take over, please. And I am also up and down. This I try to do this. Uh, so is that part of uh, okay, cool. There's a part of the costing. Okay, like uh, like general business costing. There. Th- there are three different ways you can do costing. Uh, okay, which goes vis-a-vis pricing here. Yeah? You can price lower than the market so that you are able to undercut your competitors and, and gain customers very quickly. However, the problem with that one, that when you undercut your competition is that you're most likely operating at a loss. That means you have to have cash for that time and it doesn't always work. The next one is to price at, price at the same rate as other people and try to beat them via marketing. This one, it's a, this one takes organic growth. Where you try to, oh, you have customers coming in slowly, slowly and you try to get them to stay. Then the other part is pricing above the market where you're trying to go for exclusivity. Where this one you have usually go for niche marketing. With a niche market, you identify a very small part of the market. If for example, Kampala has Kampala has a population of uh, 2 million, I think, during the night and about 5 million during the day. Okay, so I find that if of those 5 million, you're not trying to reach everybody, you have a target. You say, instead of going, we are, we are trying to reach 1,000 of those 5 million during the day. Now, of those 1,000, you have to identify who are they and try 
to just target only those. You find like there are some people who are, there are some restaurants that are situated in the parks. Those ones have low price, have market pricing for that area, but they're going for numbers. And they target only those people, their food is about 2,000, 3,000 a plate, and their margins are there. Then you have the high-end ones who have uh, much higher prices, but they're also targeting a particular market. So you find that your marketing, your pricing, and your your pricing vis-a-vis your costing is going to depend on which market segment you are targeting. Uh, this is something that we usually do not take into consideration. Because I know gems, at least for me, targets particular people. Uh, but the rest of us, I'm not sure if we're doing that quite well. Because the characteristics of those people will determine how much you can spend and vis-a-vis how much you can cost. Uh, Tuti, have you have you identified your market segment? Middle class. Middle class is very wide. Much as I have a target market a bit, I also noticed that our market is not clearly defined. Meaning that at one time I, I might want the person who is middle class might want something cheap, and at another time I might want something. Exclusive. It depends on whatever situation I am financially. So shouldn't the market yeah. be more open rather than closed off? Even if I want to be a closed off market, I notice that it takes longer to achieve that. But if time is not on the side of the entrepreneur in this case. But you need to identify your key market, your which one you are going to target. As much as the other ones are going to come in. The question is, who is your main... Like, if you have a spear, your, your key market is going to be the arrowhead. So you need to identify who your arrowhead is so that you can be able to what? To target those. Uh, can you just expand on that uh, target market? Because okay, if I say, like, middle class, my target, huh? that means uh, I'm not targeting for one for the party. So me saying middle is according to how, of course, first of all, my pricing, my location, my, my ability to be able to do different things. So if you say middle class, uh, are you saying that like, we target and say like how I think James does one for uh, targeting women? And a bit, even as you're saying this, I remember, so, uh, I know that you're finished. I hope you're finished, Brenda. Okay, I was saying a bit, last time you mentioned, you and uh, Cake Lee mentioned something that was quite insightful. You said that uh, you had learned that you can price differently your products and uh, those who could afford would get more, those who cannot afford would pay less. Whereas the cakey lady might price low on her cakes, but should target wedding cakes that are more lucrative. And so going cheap helped her, going low helped her get a market that would later on yield to the fruits. So is that, isn't that a bit contradicting with your, what you're discussing right now? 
Not necessarily. Because, because what we had discussed last time has made me had made yeah, me start because, thinking, am I yeah. wrong to target to target women and children exclusively? Shouldn't I remodel based on what we guys discussed last time? Okay, so, that's, so that's why I'm what what, what, what a lot of uh, restaurants do is that they usually have a, a pool factor, a pool product. The pool product is one which sort of appeals to people generally within your target market, generally within that target market. But if you can see like even Asha, as much as she was uh, doing below the cost that she wanted, she was not targeting, uh, let's say, street sales, for example, or targeting supermarket sales or her cakes. So she knew that the people who were... Um, who, who she wanted to, who she wanted to eventually start buying wedding cakes from her and specialty cakes from her, they are within a particular target range, and she made sure that the product that she gave was within the market they are used to, within the price they are used to. If I can give, uh, if you look like at an example of most of the restaurants that have grills around them you find that that one item of the grill is usually the pool factor, like the chicken or the pork roast or something like that. That is the pool, the pool factor for them, for their clients. But like a client who eat that one piece of chicken, like it's kawa-ish, it doesn't cost them a lot, but they will be happy about it. And then they will ask, let me see the menu next time. Then they will discover something of about 15, 20,000. Like, okay, if their chicken was good at 5K, let me see if their burger, which is at 17,000, is going to be is also going to be as good. Then the client will like that, and you find that they rarely order for the chicken. They will be now ordering for the burger and other items. But the chicken, the chicken itself was what was what attracted people in the first place. Because that was something that was familiar with them. So as you have your within your pricing there, you have you need to have a pool, a pool item. And a lot of companies and businesses, actually restaurants, on their pool item, they do not make money. At best, what they usually do on the pool item, it is that item that helps them to break even. Uh, okay. You find that you need an entry product into your, for customers into your business. What is going to be that entry product that is going to pull them to you and they will like that one such that they will also ask about other products. Okay. That is the way yeah, I see okay. it. Yeah. So you find that you have the chicken, for example, you have a chicken piece at 5K. Someone may like that one. Then you tell them that you can add pork and chips and you have a mini platter that is good enough for two at 15,000 people, for 15,000. It's like, okay, your, your beef was, your, your chicken piece was fine. So what is that? What is that item that is going to be your cool thing? Unless a specialty chef who does uh, events uh, or has special clients, most of it, then you don't need a pool a pool product. But if you are trying to reach out to the market, you need to have a pool product to you that is going to bring people to you. Something that people are familiar with and that is priced within the range that they are used to, such that they are able to 
to other things. Okay, like I observed myself, for me, my pull factor usually to a restaurant yeah. are their sumbusas. If I test the samosas and I don't yeah. like it, I will. The chances of me ordering anything else on that menu are low. And also, the samosa helps me to get an idea of their pricing. If you're pricing for me one samosa at ten thousand shillings, I'm like this guy's menu. I cannot handle. If it's three samosas at five thousand, I'm like, okay, let me try. And if I like those ones, then I'm like, okay, if they can do samosa as well, what else can they do? Do you you remember the first time I ate samosas at? Yes. Yeah. I I even called you and complained about them bitterly. <laughs> because for me, that is that is my key thing. Well, it clearly shows that when we are talking about this costing, we are also talking about how to scale a business, and it also means that at some point in time, it's about attracting a client more than uh, controlling the cost. I remember you mentioning that last time, and even at the discussion now, it seems that that's the focus. Yeah, you have to. The thing is, you always have to assume that your business is not going to be profitable in the first six months, and you're going to make a loss or something like that. So how are you going to handle that? So you find that you need to have money for that period because you cannot go straight to profitability, and you're going to do things that are not going to bring in immediate immediate income, but may bring in later income. Time you mentioned a lot. Uh, you mentioned a point of having consider investors when in your business prices and all of that why did you bring that up uh, because it is a key determinant of your costing model of your pricing model uh, because investors are uh, we we tend to shun investors when we're doing businesses or worse still we take investors without understanding why we want them or why we need them so you find that somebody comes and just puts their something and later on you get frustrated in your business with them because they are not bringing in the value they thought that you're going to do. And a lot of times this is our fault as an entrepreneur, as the, as the owner, as a business owner, because we do not understand. That guy saw an opportunity and they took it. For us, we didn't really get it, what they were doing. But with an investor, what they're supposed to be able to help you with yeah. is money to run you to start your business in the beginning. Either to reduce your expenses in the beginning or to bring money to cover those expenses before you start breaking even. And how does the costing work? Uh, so, Abid, are you suggesting? Yes. If you have a clear costing model, how does that approach it? Mark also had a question. You have understood what I've asked. Yes. yes, I was asking. My question was Are you suggesting that the investor will cover the costs 
for a period of time, let's say six months, while you break even. That means the money he puts in covers all salaries and blah, blah, blah. To the point you think break even will take place, then you start paying back. Is that what you are suggesting? Yes. Something like that. Something like that. But also investment sometimes, the investor doesn't necessarily bring in only money. You may find that, for example, if I'm to, to say, for example, partner with, um, let's say, Sheila Kasumba, you may find that her investment in the business may not be money. But if she has a tried and proven track record of being able to send customers my way, I may invest with, I may say for my business, I'm giving you 10, 20%. And what you're going to do is to bring in customers. And I know that her contribution, if I was to pay her or pay somebody for the marketing value that she brings in, I'd have to pay 20, 30 million. That is going to be the value of her contribution to the business. So instead of me spending 20, 30 million, this person is going to do this thing for free. But also, what are they when they do it for free? There has to be a an obvious effect on the business. Because sometimes you can bring in an investor like that when it is something you can you'd be better off hiring somebody. Because if she likes remember, maybe you can agree she's going to do this for five years, then maybe I can just agree a percentage of sales for that period is what she's going to get instead of an investment. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so the investment angle is key because you find that if you, so the pricing model determines a lot of things and also your costing because you need to first do a bit of market research, uh, determine your targets, uh, find out what you're going to price at, what should be the best ideal place to price at basing on your market targets and your expenses. And then, yeah, and then you calculate how long it's going, you get a rough idea of how long it's going to take you before you become even, before you break even. And at that point, that's when you start looking for investors. Uh, the best point to look for investors is, is after, after you have looked, identified your market segment, determined your income and expenses. Um, a bit. Yeah, done your market research. And then at yes, one point, please. you also top market go to. Yes. Talked about what? You talked about the markets, the downtown markets, mm. and how they are able to price. They are targeting, you know, the guys downtown. I've yes. been to those markets. I've eaten them, mm. and yes, they're full yes. of cheap. All their factors surrounding yeah. them, they get the first market produce that enters. They have no transport costs. Yes. They have, yes. um, then they do, their rent is, a, is under bulk arrangement, as in they rent out a whole yes. stall and like five people there. So they can afford mm. to actually give you good quality product at a very low price. Low but price. then I ask myself, yes. then I ask myself, if I moved that model, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm using the Tinder market at 3K. I have no transport costs. As long as the first market items are getting to 
Okay, Mark, again, that will depend on your market target, your market segment, because you may find that the people downtown, for them, that is fine for them because their clientele are okay with that environment. However, your clients may say, I want to see where I prepare from. And then they come to Tinder Market and find you there. They'll be like, mm -hmm, Nedda, this is not the sort of place I want to eat from. This is not the sort of market. This is not the sort of kitchen I'm comfortable eating from. So it also depends a lot on your market target, your market segment. I like what we're discussing something. A bit much as this might be a lecture, it is more yeah. Uh, it's not it's not it's more like an area that we have not explored. I noticed that when it comes to restaurants, there is no clear training on development of the business. But that said, what are the cost models to you? Are there clear cost models that one should uh, emulate and uh, validate if their business is worthwhile or not? Or is it just a uh, Kayola? Like, we guess what? How can one I tell wish, I wish Michael was here because I think there's something I mentioned once and he had more information about it. Um, because I did not know the cost model for restaurants till I attended by some fluke, I attended a class. And the um, person who was doing the training mentioned that thing of keeping the cost of ingredients should be at most 30% of your of your pricing. You clearly know the people in the market mm. don't use that and yet they still survive and they have comfortable profits. Yeah, the people in the market go for numbers. They go for, they go for volume. For example, you can see also Java's, as much as it's going for volume, it is going for volume in a particular category, in a particular market. And that market has different demands from the downtown market. Okay, let's say if you say Cafe Java's, for example, who, want who also go for volume, they have to make sure they fit the demands of the market they are targeting. Because somebody in Cafe Java's wants American Garden or Heinz ketchup. So find that your expense model is going to be different there. Your cost model is going to be different there. And that's why Java's has gone for a centralized kitchen. They want to prepare everything once and send it out. So they are maintaining quality and also reducing their costs. You find that now they are getting suppliers probably delivered directly to them. Soon, they have started producing their own inputs. You can see that where Mandela Group is going. As much as they're producing inputs, they're also expanding out to the market. They're having an integrated model as a, as a business group. So you as a restaurant, you have to also look at what are the items that I can integrate into my costing. How do I keep my costs low without compromising my quality or compromising the demands of my customers? If somebody is used to a gonja of a certain size, there's a restaurant in Fort Porto that charges higher than Java prices. And for them, they, they, they mainly run with tourists. And maybe something we could mention, as much as the people in the markets, downtown markets, uh, charge low, the one disadvantage they have is they cannot scale quickly. They cannot scale, they cannot grow. Their margins are, their profits are so, so small that they cannot put aside money to grow. And 
maybe that was one of the discussions we were having earlier. All right, but I think what he's trying to talk about is growth. So I find that not you cannot have all your. It's hard for you to have all your items at once. So I find that as you do your costing model, you also have to think about your growth. So that's some of the money that you're getting is going towards buying other items and scaling up. No, but I think uh, we've not dug deep into it, but we get the we got the point of what you're saying most of yeah and also right now i remember last last something what we wanted why we continue the costing thing was because we we're trying to look at costing vis-a-vis -vis growth and scaling growth, yes but that's why that's the one you had mentioned before we closed off the meeting yeah because also when you're planning when you're doing your plan in the beginning as you're starting your business you have you take into consideration that you're going to have the money to have all the items that you want so you plan for scaling that as the money is coming in, part of it is going to be maybe to buy a new knife, to buy a new something, to buy a certain item. And this is going to, and then how is that going to, you know, so there's a costing model vis-a-vis -vis your pricing model. And the two are, are different. Uh, because you find the costing model is internal and it informs your pricing model. But sometimes you find that you can have a costing model that you're planning to have to be decreasing with time such that it doesn't adversely affect your pricing model. There are some restaurants that I don't like who, whose costing model directly impacts their pricing model. They're like, ah, you know, Gonja has gone up, therefore we're charging more. <laughs> but you should have this in consideration. People it happens a lot. But you Mm. Yeah, but if you have a restaurant, you should know that uh, your costs are going to oscillate during the year, depending on season. So you take that into consideration from the beginning, such as you're able to offer the customer a more or less constant price. And in that way, they don't feel cheated because you find that people increase, increase prices of certain items when it's off season, but they don't take them back down. A customer who has been noticing that will feel cheated and will not come back. But if you put your cost, your pricing model in such a way that it reflects part of that costing model, then the customer doesn't will be like, eh, these people still deliver me at good quality, even when prices are high and they haven't increased their prices, I'll stick with these ones. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Uh, we, could, we could conclude from here, but I, the, point, the point I was saying earlier was if one doesn't include growth in their model, it's bound to collapse the business down the road yeah. because prices always go up. And if you're not growing in terms of size, it is it, you're bound to struggle down the road. And maybe pricing should include scaling and growth as quite key in the beginning stages of it. Like you're trying yeah. to get as many clients as possible. So when about drawing clients in different ways. All right, see ya. Okay, thank you so much. All right, see ya.